welcome to the new South Point Living podcast, brought to you by the publishers of the South Point Living Magazine and South Point Sun Newspaper. I'm Melissa Hopper, Creative Director at South Point Publishing, and I'm here with Mark Ribble, Editor of the South Point Sun. And before we go any further, I'd just like to acknowledge that our theme song was produced by DJ Kersey, Kingsville resident Jaron Kerr, and you can find him online at DJ Kersey, and that's D-J-K-I-R. Z-Y. So thank you, Jaron. We love our uh, new theme song. And Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And I'm looking forward to hearing what's coming up in the sun this week, um, the week of May 5th. And actually, too, I would like to um, give a shout out, a birthday wish to South Point Publishing's um, administrative champion, Roberta McCarty. It is her birthday today, May 5th. So um, she also happens to be my mom. So uh, definitely a special one for me to acknowledge. So happy birthday, mom. Yes. Happy birthday, Roberta. We will have to get a card over to her virtually. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. And I'm actually uh, looking forward to what trivia you have to bring to us this week. Oh, yes. I've got some trivia. So so the first question is, on a dartboard, what number is directly across from the number one? And the second question is, the original name of this famous search engine was Backrub. Question three is, Baby Puss was the name of this saber-toothed tiger on what animated series? The fourth question is, 1968's I've Got to, I've Got to Get a Message to You was the first top ten hit for what group? And the last question is, what was the first animated Disney film based on the life of a real person? Oh, good question. So five questions for everybody. All right. And I will say that I don't know the answer to many of them. So I look forward to the answers at the end of the podcast to, right. to fill me in on those. Now, uh, we'd love to hear what you have coming out in the sun this week. Okay, this week's paper, May 5th paper, we've got uh, a few things on the go. Um, The lead story is vaccines are ramping up in the area as the province has announced that Ontario's, Ontarians 18 plus should have their first vaccine dose booked by the last week of May. This is exciting news and it'll enable those older folks waiting for their second dose to very likely get there sooner than expected as well. You and I both have our our first um, shots. Yes. You uh, got AstraZeneca, I got Pfizer. What was your experience like? My experience with AstraZeneca, we had um, we got ours late on a Saturday night at Walmart, so um, we were able to pick up a six pack of Verners with it as well. And uh, is that rare? We, uh, rare Verners. <laughs> we didn't have really anything Sunday other than being tired, and um, and I don't know whether that's just because of our age. Um, Monday and Tuesday we were very sluggish, had a little bit of a headache, and felt kind of blah. Um, but things picked up Wednesday, and and really the tiredness started to go away after a few days, and and we were back to normal. So wasn't anything extraordinary. Yeah, no, that that's good. Um, I had just a little bit of um, soreness and tenderness on my arm, but um, other than that, I felt nothing. Um, you know, no, none of those symptoms of what you were saying. But um, I definitely would just love to give a shout out now. I would have loved to have gone in Leamington, but it, it wasn't available for the day that I was able to go get it. So I went to the Libro Center in Amherstburg and it, I just found they did an incredible job. It was so well organized. Everybody was happy and it just made you feel um, so positive that 
um, you know, we're definitely moving in the right direction, but I just have to give them, um, you know, a lot of credit for how well organized it was there. And I've been hearing the same from people who have gone to other places, whether it's been um, Nature Fresh, whether it's been places in Windsor, it just, it, it feels like, um, you know, they're doing a good job at getting everybody, um, you know, in and out as quickly as possible. And I know, um, you know, it just it definitely feels like we're moving in the right direction that so many people are now going to be able to get it in our area. Right. Yes, that's right. And they say that um, we can achieve herd immunity by midsummer in Ontario if if things fall into place properly. So that's what we're really looking for. So we can get out from under this for sure. Yes, definitely. For sure. Um, elsewhere, um, I talked to Simpson Orchards and Teeson Orchards um, this weekend just to see how they fared with the, the sub-zero temperatures there on the 22nd after we had that big snow on the 21st. And found out surprisingly that uh, even though Simpsons lost uh, a number of their apricot blossoms, they expect that their apple and, and peach and uh, cherry crops will be decent. Um, at Teeson's, the same thing. They, they only grow the apples as far as uh, tree fruit goes. And uh, Andrew Teeson told me that they expect to have a good crop. They've lost a number of blossoms, but with apples, there are so many blossoms on the tree that they usually have to go in and thin them out anyway. So he said it should all play out and they're expecting a good crop. So that's good news for, for the orchards. Yes, definitely. And that's one of those things that um, tend not to think about if that's not um, an area that you work in, but we just look at, oh, this late snow, this late cold, it's just annoying more than anything. But to some mm -hmm. people, it's definitely, uh, you know, a lot more severe than that when it comes to their livelihood. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We also had uh, in sports, Scott Holland's taking a look back at the old Heinz, Heinz baseball teams of the 1920s and 30s. Uh, many people don't realize that that corner at Shirk and Oak Street um, on the, I guess, the east side of Shirk, where the pickle vats and everything are now and that in the big uh, grading area. Um, that's where the ball diamond was back in the day. And uh, the Heinz 57s played the games there and they had bleachers and clubhouses and all sorts of stuff. So it's kind of a neat uh, throwback to, to many years ago when baseball in the area. So that's pretty cool. It's great to see those old photos too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Other news: We had a Wheatley Church that got that got into trouble at Christmas time for holding in-person services. Has been charged once again under the Reopening Ontario Act. They have in-person services on Sunday, April twenty-fifth. About one hundred and twenty-eight members, many of them without masks, attended the services. And Chatham Kent Police um, later charged a forty-four-year-old man um, with holding the service. So. Um, those are things that are coming up in the paper. We'll have a little more detail on a fire that happened uh, Monday morning in Leamington on Road 7. A greenhouse caught fire there and uh, damages are still undetermined, um, but they appear to be extensive. So that's something to look for in the paper this week as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, it's good to know what we can look forward to and uh, yeah, we'll carry on with things. So. Last week, uh, Mark, we talked about the origin of South Point, how the name South Point came to be. And you actually did some more, um, you know, research into that to kind of jog, jog our memories of how it all came to be. So would you like to share that? Right. Well, um, the first thing I, I can remember of South Point was when South Point minor hockey came into play from the amalgamation between Leamington minor hockey and Wheatley minor hockey in 1994. 
So um, I went back to archives from 1994 and found actually the story about the naming of South Point. Um, there were basically five people um, who suggested the, word, the, the name South Point to name the new hockey association. And then from that five, those five people, there was a draw made for a hundred dollar prize. And Mark Epplett was just a young fellow back then, and he uh, he took home the prize, a hundred dollar prize for that. So wow! So five people though had had the name South Point that they had come up with for that. Yes, there were five entries that qualified. Mark Epplett, I believe, was drawn as from from all of the entries as the South Point capital. So. So he was the the winner of the prize. Chris Gabriel had also submitted the same name, and uh, there was a picture in, in the Leamington Post of the of the winners for that. Did it say um, how many entries were received overall? There were fifty na- different names suggested wow. at the time. So, um, and then there were twenty six entries altogether. So people must put in multiple entries, I, I would suppose. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Well, yeah, I, I, until we talked about it last week, didn't realize that that was the first time that South Point was really used, um, was used in this area. It was with the South Point minor hockey. Yeah. As far as I can remember, that was it there. You know, there may have been a business or two that had used it prior, but I don't remember anything prior to that coming into effect. Yeah. Well, that's interesting for sure. And then that kind of is a good segue to, um, you know, you mentioned 1994 Leamington Post. One of the things that we want to do on this podcast is to go back in time um, with the local papers. And we're we're very lucky that both the Leamington Post and the Kingsville Reporter are online. Um, The old issues going back many, many years, Um, going back as far as 100 years ago, the Leamington Post this week. And that's what I just wanted to share a couple things that I um, found interesting in there. So May 5th, 1921 in the Leamington Post. One of the items of local news was that a Canadian beaver of large size was seen swimming eastward along the beach at Point Pelee one day last week. A number of the residents tried to capture it, but failed. So there wasn't a whole lot going on in the news locally, but that was one of the <laughs> items that, that was going on. So um, that's, one, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, it seems funny, but um, can you imagine right now if you were that's some of the things that you would be covering as the editor of the South Point Sun is, you know, things like that going on because there really isn't a whole lot of things going on right now. So. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've been trying, I've, I've been down to Point Pelee a number of times in the past couple of months, just trying to get a picture of, because the beaver population down there is growing and growing and growing. So trying to get a picture, they're elusive, you know, you see them for a minute and then you don't see them and, and usually they're swimming in the water, and that's not a great shot. I'd like to get one up on land, but I haven't been able to do that yet. But that's something I'm aspiring to. And and really, we went without – there were no beavers in this area for almost 100 years. You know, um, When I was growing up at Point Pelee, there certainly weren't beavers then. There were lots of muskrats, but uh, it was unheard of for a beaver to be this far south. And just over the last probably seven or eight or ten years, we've started to see beavers – move back into this area so it's quite uh, quite something when you think about it yes well i wish you luck on capturing that photo i hope hope that happens yes um one of the other things that was in the leamington post 100 years ago this week was that the headline is bridge to span detroit river and so it's saying here that the engineer is prepared to award contracts and that he expects that the work will begin within six months and that 
The work to uh, build the bridge from Windsor to Detroit will take about six years with a cost of $50 million, which a wow. hundred years ago seems it's, it's a large amount now. I can't imagine what, you know, relative to where we are today, what that amount would be. Yeah, exactly. That's just, that's incredible when you think about it, when it goes back that far. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's another headline that caught my eye was, has the world shifted? And this was a submitted piece. It wasn't anything that happened locally, but it was talking about an article in the Cornhill magazine that the University of Oxford was preparing a scientific expedition to go to the island of Spitsbergen in northern Norway. And the reason that they were going there was because they wanted to investigate the interesting and puzzling scientific problems connected with the island. And it turns out that in this remote period, they had noticed that the temperature was quite different from what it used to be. And so it said, the problem arises, how is it possible for the climate to have changed so greatly within 15 degrees of the North Pole? And the conclusion to this, now they were just getting ready to go on this scientific expedition, but what they, what they were guessing, their hypothesis was that the position of the earth toward the sun may indeed have shifted. So that's what they were wow. guessing was the reason that there was this temperature change over the years. And so I read this and immediately thought, you know, um, climate change, global warming, was this already something a hundred years ago that was going on right. that they didn't know what it was then and they they thought that the position of the earth toward the sun had shifted but really it was already we were already starting to see the effects of uh you know global warming and climate right. change so thought that yes. was interesting um you know one of the things that i absolutely love and, and i can be a bit of a nerd when it comes to old newspapers for the social aspect of it i absolutely love seeing those things of um you know who who went to visit who who had relatives visiting from where mm -hmm. and things like that so that's one of the things I would like to share. And in the Leamington Post, uh, 100 years ago, Mr. and Mrs. G. Harold Bastine of Ann Arbor, Michigan, spent the weekend at the home of the former's parents, Mr. and Mrs. D. J. Bastine of Marlborough Street. Upon their arrival Saturday evening, they were greeted with a surprise when a few of Mr. Bastine's most intimate friends gathered at his father's home to meet his winsome bride and extend their congratulations accompanied by appropriate gifts. An enjoyable evening was spent, after which a dainty luncheon was served and the party dispersed, all wishing Mr. and Mrs. Bastien much happiness. So these are the kinds of things I love love to see, um, yes. especially, you know, when you think that we have Facebook now, we have all this social media that you can see what's going on. Well, a uh, hundred years ago and up until even probably, what would you say, 15 years ago, this was how people mm -hmm. learned of of who was getting married who was having babies who you know all of that stuff so um you know i just love reading these and also 100 years ago in ruthven was a very exciting time there are actually mm -hmm. three stories like that from ruthven so eli taylor who left here many years ago and went to the northwest where he was quite successful was here on tuesday meeting his many friends he is the inventor of a new auto tire which is punctureless and was on his way to Toronto, where he will erect a large factory for the manufacture of these tires. His many friends will all be pleased to learn of his success. I did a search for Eli Taylor and tires. I did try to find out whatever came of that, and I couldn't find mm -hmm. anything online. So if no, there is anybody out there that knows, I would absolutely love to hear it. You can send this an email, sun at southpointsun.ca or hello at southpointlivingmag.ca. Just out of curiosity, would love to know what happened to Eli Taylor and his tires. 
also yeah. in Ruthven that week. Um, Monday was a gala day here when the delegates from eight different towns in the county met here to complete the schedule and sign up the players for the Amateur Ball Club League for the season of 1921. The boys all stayed over for the chicken supper, which was held in the hall in the evening. And to say they had a real good time would be putting it quite mild. They all <laughs> agree that to put business and pleasure together, Ruthven is the place to come. Wow. So I almost feel like maybe Ruthven uh, would want to use that for their slogan. That to yeah, put business sure. and pleasure together, Ruthven is the place to come. Yes. Um, and then the final you know, piece of social news that was happening in Ruthven that week was Mrs. Jason Malott gave a big birthday party at her home here on Monday in honor of her sons and daughters, their wives and husbands and grandchildren to the number of about 50. It was a fine celebration and will always be remembered by everyone present. There are 10 children in this family, all of them in the best of health, and quite a number of their birthdays come in the month of May. Mrs. Malott, the mother, is still hearty and looks and acts as young as many women at 40. With the assistance of her daughters, she gave one of the nicest birthday spreads held in this district for many years. Wow. So then in the Kingsville Reporter, 70 years ago, May 3rd, 1951, um, there was some of the social and personal news. There were actually a couple jobs that were announced. So um, mm -hmm. Muriel Grant has accepted a position in the office of the H.J. Hines Company in Leamington. Donna McCallum has taken a position in Statham's Drugstore. And Eleanor Koval has accepted a position in the hydro office at Harrow. So those were three wow. things that I thought was was nice announcements. It's so nice to see things like that. Yeah, those are really those are really cool. That uh, especially the job announcements are really kind of interesting because you wonder how long was that person in that job and does it does it date up to when we were still visiting the hydro office? Not that we've done it a lot over our years, but. Yeah. Back in the day, we had to go in there to pay the bill and all that sort of thing, right? So Yes, for sure. Cool. And then um, the only other thing of note in the, I don't want to say this is a social thing because it's not the, the greatest of news, but um, there was a gentleman who was taken to Leamington Memorial Hospital by Kinsman Ambulance when he fell approximately eight feet from a ladder while cleaning windows. So as I read that, it actually... Um, coincides with what I've been working on this week, which is we have a spring home section coming up that's going to be coming out in the sun on May 12th. And in that, um, as part of the editorial, there's an article about um, safety tips for spring cleaning. And one of the things is that if you're using a ladder, you should get somebody to spot you. So use the buddy system for those things. So mm -hmm. I have just yesterday finished up that article and then read this uh, in in the paper in the Kingsville Reporter from 70 years ago about this gentleman right. having to be taken to the hospital by ambulance because he fell off a ladder. So please, anybody yeah. out there who is going to be doing some spring cleaning and, and anything outside using a ladder, please, please be careful. Yes. So For you sure. now have some very interesting stories from the Kingsville Reporter 70 yeah, we years got, ago. We got some stuff from that May 3rd, 51 issue. Two big things happened in Kingsville that week. Um, we had Sillaps, who had recently retired from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was the guest speaker at the annual Father and Son Banquet that was sponsored by the Epworth United Men's Club. Um, 400 fathers and sons attended this banquet, and uh, they say it was the largest and most successful father and son banquet they ever had there. Um, so Sillaps was the guest speaker. There were some... Some young men as young as three years old and some some men as old as 80 years old, they sat down and had the meal and listened to uh, 
the former Maple Leafs captain, talk. Doug Vaughn, the Windsor Star sports editor, he also he also got up and spoke, I believe, too. So, um, so I started thinking about Silaps and and being a Maple Leaf fan. I thought, oh, you know what? That's just a little before my time, but I do remember Silaps's name and and all of that stuff. So, kind of went through a little bit of um, research on him, and he had a 12, 12 year career, which in those days was considered quite short. He was the Calder Trophy winner for Rookie of the Year in 1936, and he was the least captain for many of the years that he was there. Um, prior to his hockey career, he actually represented Canada in the pole vault at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, where he placed sixth. And after his career, he became an MPP in Ontario. So he had a pretty full life uh, in the public eye. Um, Con Smythe referred to Silaps as the greatest player in Maple Leafs history at one point. And uh, his son, Silaps Jr., had played several years in the NHL. His granddaughter, Jillian Apps, won a gold medal with Team Canada in th three Olympics, 2006, 2010, and 2014. Did I say grandson? Because I meant granddaughter. No, I think you said granddaughter. Okay. I'm yeah. It's a, a very a athletically skilled family. That's right. Yeah. So that was quite an event. But really, the the huge event, which was held... I believe a couple nights before it was the um, the Lions Club of Kingsville bringing the grand gentleman of baseball, um, Connie Mack, to town for a speaking engagement. Connie Mack was the manager and president and owner of the Philadelphia Athletics for about fifty years, and uh, prior to that, he was he was actually um, a standout baseball player too. A lot of people don't know that Connie Mack's real name was Cornelius McGillicuddy, and uh, he shortened it to Connie Mack when he when he started playing baseball, and uh, it stuck. And a lot of people hear of the name Connie Mack, and they think, oh, that's kind of a famous name. I'm not real sure where that fits in in baseball, but he did he did manage uh, manage the Philadelphia Athletics for 50 years, which is really unheard of these days. Um, and as a catcher, he was the first catcher to position himself or among the first catchers to position himself directly behind home plate instead of sitting back at the backstop. And this, as a baseball fan, I didn't know that the catchers at one time crouched at the backstop away from the batter. That makes me um, want to look up some old footage to see yeah. that. Yeah. So he would have played in, he would have been a player in the probably eight, uh, late 1890s. And, uh, he was actually one of the first catchers to perfect the art of tipping the bat, which um, catchers will know that when you have two strikes on a batter, if if the third strike is foul and the catcher catches the ball, you're out. Now, normally a foul ball, you're not out on the third strike, but if the catcher catches the ball, um, you're out if you if you hit a foul tip. So what he was what he quickly became adept at doing was was sticking his glove out just enough. So it sounded like the ball hit the bat, but the ball was actually hitting his glove. And he got caught at it many times, but he was uh, that led to the rule, the catcher's interference rule being developed in baseball to uh, curtail that from catchers actually touching the bat of the batter so that they could get them called out when they had two strikes on them. Great. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But they said there were 300 people at the banquet, and, and Connie Mack received the biggest standing ovation ever recorded a guest in Kingsville. Wow. So um, he got up and spoke, um, had the standing ovation. He was talking about the Detroit Tigers. 
you know, a lot of people were fans around here and still are fans of the Tigers. He was talking about the the fact that the Tigers were having a, a rough year, but he thought they'd finish in the top four when the season was over. Robert Hooper, Bob Hooper from Kingsville, who was uh, a pitcher for Philadelphia, was also at the at the banquet and got up and spoke and told a few stories about the team and about uh, Connie Mack too. So that's very interesting stuff because that in those days that that would have been a big deal. That would have been the equivalent of Babe Ruth coming to your town, you know. Well, so it, was, have, it was a big deal to have those two within the same week. I mean, that's you know right. big any point for either one of them. But then to have both yeah. of them come to speak in the same week in Kingsville, that's incredible. For and sure. Then, um, the other sports related item that was in the paper that week was a headline that caught my eye. It said, "Where do the boys go?" And then it, it says, "Once the current National Hockey League battles come to an end." Names of players that have filled the sport pages for months will fade from sight for another season. Where do they go? What do they do? These questions are answered in an entertaining manner in Associated Screen Studios' latest Canadian cameo release, Hockey Stars Summer. And so what it does is it it follows a couple um, NHL players on what Mm -hmm. their summer jobs are. And it's one of those things that you don't think about now just because so many players that obviously they're making enough that um, they don't need a summer job now. Um, right. you know, some of them might invest in things and maybe they have restaurants or, you know, other businesses or things that they invest in, but they might not necessarily be hands-on on those things. But in, uh, 1951, there was this, um, film that came out following players, including Ted Lindsay, you know, amongst others that what did they do in the summer? And we actually found it on YouTube that if anyone's interested in watching it, it was really interesting. I think it was only about 10 minutes long, um, you know, quick, but very interesting. So we'll include the link to that in our show notes for anyone that wants to see it. So definitely um, something interesting to see that you don't see now is these NHL players that also work summer jobs. Yeah, it's unheard of nowadays. I remember, you know, go back to Tim Horton, for instance. Tim Horton opened a donut shop so he could have another income, right? So how did, you know, that just kind of snowballed into, into a huge, huge empire eventually long after Tim Horton's death, unfortunately. But I think back in the seventies when my brother, he would come home at the end of every season and spend the whole summer in Leamington, um, not necessarily working. I think the first couple of years he might've taken a summer job, but after that he was, he was, uh, he was doing well enough that he could afford not to. But um, prior to that, Prior to the 70s, I think it was just they just didn't make enough money to make ends meet. And if they weren't getting paid over the summer, then they had to do something to, to make a living. Right. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things, too, that I think is that um, I know, you know, there might be things in contracts now that prevent players from doing certain things. And some of these jobs, um, you know, that these players were doing in the summer and some of them even were playing sports. You mm-hmm. know, one was a golfer, which, OK, golf is you know, not a sport that you can get injured very easily at, but there was another one that was a, a baseball player. Um, but some of the other jobs were things that were a little more high risk that, you know, I don't think players now would even be allowed to potentially do certain things right. with their contracts limiting them because obviously teams don't want them going out and getting injured, doing something that they didn't sure. necessarily need to be doing. So right. yeah, it's just really interesting to see that. So switching gears now, um, you know, one of the things that with the pandemic, people have been watching TV uh, a lot more than uh, probably ever before. But one of the things that, um, you know, we 
we ha- want to talk about what are some of the the shows, some good shows that that we've been watching, and we actually asked that um, on our South Point Living Instagram account. We asked, you know, what's everybody watching? What shows do you recommend? Some of the recommendations that came in. Um, actually, you know what? Let's start first. Why don't you tell me what are some of the ones that you've been watching, and we'll see if any of those okay. ones came in as recommendations. Well, we we got hooked uh, during the pandemic. We got hooked on on a show called uh, Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. That's one of them. Um, I've never seen a sh- I've never seen a show done so well in my life. And and I'm I'm a Western fan. I used to love Gunsmoke and Bonanza and that sort of thing. Didn't think too much of this going into it, but boy, was it it was a great show. And and uh, that kind of spawned us into after after we watched the three available seasons of Yellowstone and are anxiously awaiting season four. It kind of spawned us into another series of that was similar. It's an Australian show called McLeod's Daughters, and there are like eight or nine or twelve seasons of it. It's very long, and we're not through it yet. I think we're only on season three at this point. But it it it's also a ranching type of thing, uh, horse ranching and cattle ranching type of show it's kind of uh yellowstone light what we call it yellowstone has all the language and the violence and everything in it cloud's daughters really doesn't have that it's more of a folksy type of story that would be disney like your pg version yeah so but both very good shows and and we've binge watched as much of those as we can so i i don't know whether there's anything else that we've really really got into that I can think of uh, quite a few movies that we've watched and, and things like that. But. Well, yeah, Yellowstone was one of the recommendations that we had. Um, mm-hmm. Ones that I've been watching, um, we really enjoyed Ted Lasso on Apple I TV, and heard uh, that one, that. Yeah, yeah, really funny. And season two of that's coming out in July. Um, another one that I really enjoyed was Succession, and that was on Crave and uh, follows a, a media empire family. Um, very dysfunctional family. I would almost call it almost like a dramedy because I had a couple right. laugh out loud moments, but I also had some moments where I was gasping out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed that one. And season three of that one's supposed to be coming out hopefully later this year. They, like many shows, had to put a hold on filming. So I think everyone's scrambling sure. to get their next seasons out. But um, most recently, um, Kevin and I watched Mark Wahlberg's documentary series that's on Crave. And that was really interesting. It was um, basically just a look at his daily life and all the different businesses that he has his hands in. And he is an investor in a number of businesses, but he's also very hands-on in some of the businesses he's involved in. So it was just incredible to see him. He would be off filming somewhere, but then he would, um, you know, the minute that he wasn't shooting, he'd be off to the side of the set and he'd be talking to his business partners and, you know, figuring out what was going on, what decisions do we need to make. His businesses, some of them include the Wahlburgers restaurants. Um, that are worldwide also a clothing line that he was getting ready to launch he's got car dealerships um trying to think of what i mean he's got a production company that produced this documentary and so he's just got his hand in so many different things but how he juggles everything while being a full-time working actor it's just incredible to see but really interesting to see that behind the scenes of his life and everything that goes on so those are the ones that i've really enjoyed some of the other suggestions that we got were ozark um, great, great series yeah. yes yeah, so we could watch that as well um i think that was one of the first ones we watched when the pandemic hit so mm-hmm. looking forward to when the next uh season i think the next season is the final season too um if i'm not mistaken. i believe so yeah 
Um, another one, Emily in Paris, which, um, you know, for those of us that love traveling and can't be traveling right now, that was just a nice one to have right. the backdrop of Paris to be able to see that. But, um, what I didn't realize while I was watching it was that the star Lily Collins is the daughter of Phil Collins. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that there might be, um, some younger people who really enjoyed Emily of Paris, Emily in Paris, who have no idea who Phil Collins even is. Mm -hmm. um, but for those of us who are a little bit older, um, you know, that was a fun little tidbit of information. Yeah. We also got some recommendations for, or we got one for Flack on Amazon Prime. And I haven't seen that one. Do you know anything about we that? Have, uh, we actually, we start, we have been watching Flack as well. It's a little bit risque, but it's, it's, it's funny. It's really funny. And it, and it revolves around a, a girl who, um, it's uh, Anna Paquin that was the child star in the piano movie years ago. I think she won an Academy Award for that. Mm -hmm. She's grown up now, um, and she belongs to an agency that kind of takes the heat for any any celebrities that get in trouble. If somebody's having an affair, she'll go in and she'll arrange it so that the media gets a hold of a different story instead of that, and she kind of puts herself in the line of fire to be able to do that. It's kind of a neat concept. And and hilarious. It is pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. I'll have to check that one out. And then two other ones that um, people said that they're watching are are two that I think are probably um, you know oldies but goodies: um, Law and Order, mm -hmm. and then Downton Abbey. Yeah. So I think you kind of can't go wrong with those ones. And on that note, too, yeah. I've been watching Friends. I think I'm. This is my second time watching the the full season. Oh yeah. So yes. And from just <laughs> since the pandemic started. So, yeah. um, you know, sometimes you just need something that's a little lighthearted and can make you laugh. And, um, yes. that's, that's what we've been watching. So, um, thank you to everyone too, that, that submitted what they've been watching. And if anybody has any other ones, we'd love, love to hear from you. Always looking for some good TV. Yes, absolutely. We also did watch, uh, there was a series, there's a British series called Fleabag that was that's won a bunch of awards as well um and it was very funny too but it's kind of hard to follow but uh very hilarious so if you do get a chance to check it out it's full of a lot of vulgarity i guess you could say <laughs> but but it is really funny so yeah. well i'll add that one to my list too if, if you're not offended by that it's it's a good one to watch it yeah. takes a lot to offend me so yes, <laughs> I, will, I will be sure to check that one out so that's all that we have for uh, this week. And I'm excited next week to be talking to Wendy Parsons from the Leamington District Chamber of Commerce. Um, Wendy's got some really exciting things going on there. Um, and she also has some good tips for small businesses and also for members of the community, how to support small businesses during these times. So looking forward to talking to her. The other thing I want to mention too, is that with um, South Point Living on our social media accounts, we're doing our local love campaign, which is just trying to to bring some attention to local businesses. And so if anybody's interested in having your business um, featured on our social media accounts, you can go to southpointlivingmag.ca and fill out a form to tell us a little bit about your business and upload a picture that we can post um, with the write-up about you. And basically, we just want to help get the word out about all the great small businesses in our community. So again, you know, it's open to anybody that's interested. And it's uh, if you go to southpointlivingmag.ca, and fill out the form and then we'll um, be sure to get some uh, local love for some small businesses. So before we end things, could you please give us your trivia answers? Absolutely. I can. Um, so our first question was on a dartboard, what number is directly across from number one? And that is 19. And the second question is the original name of this famous search engine was Backrub. Backrub is now known as Google. That's good. Uh, that baby they Puss that. was the, 
Yes, for sure. And Baby Puss was the name of the pet saber-toothed tiger on the Flintstones. You often didn't see the pet saber-toothed tiger other other than during the opening credits or the closing credits. I can't remember which one. We saw the tiger, and that's about all we saw. But um, that tiger's name is Baby Puss. Uh, 1968, I've Got to Get a Message to You was the first top 10 hit for the Bee Gees. That was before their disco days when when they were quite popular in the late 60s, and then they had a break and then came back um, during disco. And the last question was, uh, what was the first animated Disney film based on the life of a real person? And that was Pocahontas. So there's our five trivia questions for this week. Well, thank you. That was that was great. I went over five, so maybe next Did week you? you can make them a little easier just <laughs> okay. to make we'll me feel easy. better. But yeah, no, that yeah. that was great. Thank you, Mark. And then uh, yeah, we look forward to being back next week when we'll talk to Wendy and bring some more uh, you know local news and events and um, just some more yes. local information. So thank you to everyone uh, for listening, and a special thank you to Sarah Hafling of the Elevate Podcast Company for producing this episode. And uh, we look forward to being back next week. Goodbye, everyone.